Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Man, I'm Tom, I'm so excited today. You look excited. I'm, well, first of all, I'm excited that you're here. Oh, thank you. Wow. For the last eight well, or nine years or whatever of shows, you've always been sitting there. <laughs> it's like a bad penny. I just yeah. keep showing up. No, I'm happy for you to be here. Uh, and also, specifically today, because you know, you're a big fella, and you, uh, uh, you're, you're a football player. Right. Sometimes I might need a bodyguard. Yeah. And so I'm just thinking like this could be one of those times. Yeah. Well, a lot of people think, uh, you know, you Catholic cafe folks over there, you guys have like these light and fluffy topics. You're always talking about right. how to pray. You know, should I go to mass? You know, yeah. and so some of these are sort of I'm not going to say light and fluffy, but some yeah. of them are easier topics than others. Yeah. But I don't want to ignore the potential for controversy. There you go. Well, and I don't mean it like I want to engage in controversy, but I do want to. We need to handle topics that sometimes tend to be controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, one of those is one that it comes up a lot recently. It, it sort of rises and then it falls. It rises, then it falls. You know, mm-hmm. and I think uh, it's important for us to talk about some of these things every once in a while. And I, I may need a bodyguard at the end of all this. <laughs> um, and so what I wanted to talk about was women's ordination, the, the oh, possibility great. that women would be ordained. Because it's a constant... Uh, uh, issue that's raised, especially uh, with a lot of uh, issues concerning uh, women and how women are treated, which I'm wholly in favor of uh, in, in things that, that, that exalt women, that, that lift women up. I, I don't like any kind of, uh, um, I don't know, mistreatment. It's just, it's awful, right? And, and right. I recognize that. So, but then sometimes people will kind of use that as, an, as, a, as a way to say, hey, so if you if you think that, then you have to agree that women need to be ordained as priests. Sure. And so what I wanted to do today was like, because this is a it's a it's a it's a profound and deep topic. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of history. It's got a lot of uh, stuff. I've got papers all laid out here in front of me. You do like about what what would we talk about? In fact, I'm going to start getting my you know jelly donut is going to drip on there and it's going to be it's going to mess <laughs> up. But that's okay. Um, you know, but I really wanted to handle the from the perspective of. Like, what do you do as a Catholic, and you love the church, you go to Mass, you, like, consider yourself a good Catholic, Mm -hmm. and then someone at a party at work comes up to you and says, why don't Catholics ordain women? Right? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Honey. Hey, we need more cheese dip, you know. Um, And I understand that sometimes it, it can be difficult to answer some questions. Yeah. Right? And you certainly don't want to... You, you know what? When my the last time my mom said, you know, because I told you so, I was very small, and maybe I accepted it then. But as you get older, well, because the church says so mm-hmm. is not going to be good enough. Right? There have to be reasons for the church's teaching. Mm-hmm. Right? So I wanted to sort of talk about some basic reasoning and understanding of why the church says we can't ordain women. Sounds good. Before I do that. Uh, a little disclaimer here. Okay. I want to make sure that we understand from the very beginning. That setting it's not, the, setting well, the rules here. Yeah, I just want to make sure people understand that in no way do we, would I ever agree with an idea that the church misuses, abuses, ignores oh, yeah. women. And, and, and maybe there are cases, and there certainly are, mm-hmm. 
I can I can hear the fingers already on the keyboards yeah. typing the angry email. Yeah. And I don't want that and to be the case. Send all your questions to Tom. Tom at, at <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. No, no, no. Um, there are you know there are individuals who've done bad things, and that is. But the church has never taught right. this, you know, and 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 the church exalts women. They, uh, absolutely. Just Google the term feminine genius. Yeah. Right. As a, as a Catholic term, and you will start to see the beauty and the gift of woman. Mm-hmm. You'll see the beautiful things that women. Um, well, that how God has used women. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe I should rattle off a few of those. I just think so that's we, a great idea. So that we start there. That's right? a great start. I mean, let's start with number one. Salvation was born into the world. Salvation took on flesh. God took on flesh through the cooperation of a woman. Mm-hmm. Right. So Mary, Mother of God. Right. right. Our salvation was born of a woman. Mm-hmm. Right. Jesus didn't sort of teleport here. Right. It's the gift of this woman and her childbearing mm-hmm. that made salvation possible. And that's why some people have called her a co-redemptrix right. because she's been part of that redemption process and, and her fiat, her yes, right? Um, a lot of people don't realize that much of Christ's ministry while he was walking the earth was materially supported by women, widows to be exact, mm-hmm. that, like, that had followed Jesus throughout his three-year public ministry. I mean, they've got money. They're supporting the ministry, right? Right, And certainly M- Mary Magdalene is an important figure mm-hmm. because it was her and some women. It was, it was to these women uh, that uh, they he were the first, first witnesses to yeah. the resurrection. Yeah, that's right. Right, and so when the men were like had their knees knocking, or hunkered down. Right, the women go back and say, "By the way, while you were in here, we went and checked out the uh, the sepulcher. Yeah, he ain't there. That's right. And, and I guess the point is, women have played key roles, mm-hmm. right, in the salvation story. Yeah, and certainly in the church's history. That's right. We've got wonderful doctors of the church. Right, that have went women: Saint Teresa of Avila, Saint Catherine of Siena, right, Saint Teresa of Lisieux, Hildegard of Bingen. So we have these great women mm-hmm. who have written wonderful, wonderful things that we can still see the bear, that, that bear fruit even today. Right, that edify us, that teach us, that console us, that that spiritually uplift us. Mm-hmm. Right, doctors of the church. That's a high rank, and very few people are doctors of the church. That's right. It's a very, very high designation. In fact. It's interesting, Catherine of Siena, a uh, Dominican, mm-hmm. she, uh, she's the one, she, one of the things she did was she was writing Pope Gregory XI while the papacy was sort of like in exile in Avignon, France. It had mm-hmm. run away from Rome. We don't want to be there because we're going to get pummeled. So they go to France. So St. Catherine of Siena is saying, you need to get, go back there. She's writing him letters, and she's actually using the phrase like, be a man. Like wow. man up, wow, yeah. So, so it's like her influence mm-hmm. in, in 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 a leadership role, even to the Holy Father. Mm-hmm. How beautiful that was, and and you know, I, I guess I should always, I really should go back to the beginning about the woman's role, mm-hmm. and and go back to to Genesis, go back to Eve, mm-hmm. right? A lot of people have this misunderstanding that because we read in the scriptures in Genesis where it says specifically that you know that man needs a helpmate. You know, right. and I know guys that kind of like, they won't say it out loud because they know they get in trouble, but they just kind of think like, that means that when Adam needed a, a cheese sandwich and a beer, he would snap <laughs> his fingers and then she would get it, right? Now then, no, you know, that's not what that no, means. it's not. It's, it's, more, it's more profound than that. It couldn't be farther from the truth. It's not, he didn't right. need a servant. That's right. Right? That's not, he needed a helpmate. Why? Because God knew that he needed help getting to heaven. Right. Because Eve, 
you know the beauty you the beautiful be thing completed. exactly the beautiful thing about her being taken from his side right. is not that he would be superior like he was like the mothership and no, they're and one that's exactly right. She completes him. He that's is right. incomplete without that's right. her. That's right. And that's the way we should view woman, that she completes us. So it's complementary. She right. complements him. Yep. And so in the same way, in our relationship with women, we need to understand that, that the woman is complementary. So women have charisms and skills and gifts. Men have charisms and skills and gifts. Men have fewer of them, I think. But men... I agree. Right? Men... <laughs> men we, we do things in certain yep. ways. Our, our bodies are constructed in certain ways. You start to realize that there's an anthropological thing going on here. Mm-hmm. Now, with all of that said, right, go. in the glorification and the exaltation of the woman, mm-hmm. now we say, well, <laughs> why can't they be priests, <laughs> right? People want to ask that question. Yeah. And you think like, well, are they stupid? No. No. Right? Are they uh, incapable of leadership of any kind? No. no. And you start thinking, you f- and you quickly fall into a trap if you have someone who's saying they need to be women. Right? And so, as an uninformed Catholic, you start to go like, well, maybe. I guess I would vote yes. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, there's no vote allowed. <laughs> but, but the reality is, why? How do we explain it? So that's what I want to do now. I want to take this time to kind of talk about here are some basic reasons the church would tell you mm-hmm. and how you can explain a network environment or at that cocktail party. Now, you're going to need more than 30 seconds, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so, number one is Christ chose 12 men. He did. Right. So, that's the first thing you can say. Well, Christ only chose men. Now, the, the initial immediate response is going to be, the knee-jerk response is going to be, yes, but that was the times. Mm-hmm. Right, that was a very male chauvinistic society. Women didn't count; they weren't the members of the five thousand. It was you count the household by the men. They ran everything. Women were unreliable back then. They were perceived that way wrongly. But it's like you say, yeah, Sounds that's like a good argument. Yeah, it could be. Except you, you think like, so is Jesus teaching? Is his truth eternal? Yes. Now remember, Jesus is a radical. Yeah. Right? He, at the time, he was doing all these things, and it was really making the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes mad. Just like, a little. What are you guys doing? You can't do that on the Sabbath? You're, mm-hmm. Or you guys aren't washing their hands like they're supposed to. Right. And, and the reality is Jesus did things like, look, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. I'm laying down a, a, a new and complete law. I'm the, the fullness of revelation. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's happening. And so does... His ability to choose the disciples, is it something that would speak for all time? The church sees it that way. Right. That he has an eternal truth that he teaches. Mm -hmm. And so you start to realize that if he had wanted to have female priests, if he had wanted to have female bishops and apostles, he would have chosen them. In fact, he surrounded himself with women. They were involved Mm -hmm. in in his ministry. And, of course, his mother. And so the reality is... He did that, and then immediately after, as the church continues to grow and Christ has ascended into heaven to take his rightful seat and throne, the church continued to do that. So those apostles continued to choose men. And then those, you know, the, the, those uh, bishops and, and, and all those who had been ordained that from, from, from that time forward continued to. So it's, some, it's a historical perspective, mm-hmm. but it's a reality and a fact. Mm-hmm. And so we have to look at it that way. That's what... Christ chose to do. It's interesting. There's a, there's a, a, a document that um, that Paul the sixth uh, talks. He, he doesn't address 
on the role of women in the plan of salvation. And this is back in 1977. And he's talking about why Jesus didn't choose women. Um, And essentially what he says is, the real reason is that in giving the church her fundamental constitution, right, her founding, what she's founded on, her theological anthropology, thereafter always followed by the church's tradition, Christ established things in this way. In other words, he chose this as an eternal path. Right. Not like, hey, in a few years or a hundred years when everyone kind of wakes up, you can have some some women here doing these things. Mm -hmm. He didn't because this is why the church's teachings have always remained constant Mm -hmm. for 2,000 years. While we don't change abortion, we don't change contraception, we don't change uh, so many of the, the teachings of the church, we don't change any of the teachings of the church because Christ instituted them. Right. And so we see it in that relationship. So it's important, to, first and foremost, to understand that's, that's why. Okay. Right? That's, that's the number one thing. And so that, there's more. Much. Right. We're going to take a break because we got more to talk about, and I want to make sure we get all these things in here. Before we do take that break, however, I do want to remind folks we have a great website. It's thecatholiccafe.com. Mm-hmm. And so I would love to, uh, I'd love to have you visit there. Right, see all kinds of cool stuff there, and also I'd love to hear from you. I'd like to get an email from you. In fact, I'm just going to give a shout out to uh, Steve in Cobb County, Cork, in Ireland. Oh, great! Hey, Steve, uh, thanks for sending your really nice email uh, uh, from Ireland. You know, top of the morning or whatever you're supposed to say. I'm supposed top of the morning to you. Oh, saints be praised. Stupid. Uh, I know. I'm. I'm an idiot. I'm so sorry, Steve. I do not mean to do that to you. But I appreciate the email. You, send me an email if you'd like to give me a shout out. Uh, send that email to Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back. I'm Vester Zemsky, and this is another great moment in church history. How do we determine that we are following God's will? Perhaps if it is virtuous, then God wants us to do it. But if it is a pious, good, and virtuous act, is that enough to tell us that God has willed it to be done, and it is what He wants for us? This can get tricky. But St. Ignatius of Loyola can help. St. Ignatius of Loyola was a Spanish saint born in the late 15th century who became the principal founder and the first superior general of the Society of Jesus, better known as the Jesuits. St. Ignatius devised a simple test for determining God's will in our lives. He tells us that we must look at the fruits of what we are doing. That will tell us whether or not God willed it to be done. If it has good fruits, peace, harmony, and happiness— then it is more likely that we are following the will of God. If it has bad fruits, discord, pain, and disharmony, then it is more likely that we are not properly discerning God's will in our lives. A man wakes at 4 a.m. every day and spends four hours in prayer, which would ordinarily be viewed as a virtuous act. But if he is married, he may encounter a wife who becomes angered by the fact that he is no longer helping her get the household ready for the day, making breakfast and bathing and dressing the children. St. Ignatius would tell us that because of the bad fruits of his morning ritual, the upset wife, the disharmony in the household, the man might be being influenced by the evil one, Satan, who often comes to us in the guise of light. 
St. Ignatius would suggest that if the same man prayed the same amount, but at times of the day more in accord with his family's schedule, the fruits might very well include a more harmonious household and a happier wife. Thus, St. Ignatius would tell us that this was truly following the will of God. So often in our daily lives, we need affirmation that the road we have chosen was indeed the one that God had intended us to take. While the world may tell us one thing about the choices we make, the fruits of those choices cannot lie. We need only to take the time to examine our actions and their results to determine if God was truly served in carrying them out. Because of his life dedicated to the good fruits of a faith-filled life in Christ, St. Ignatius was canonized a saint in the year 1622. His feast day is July 31st. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back at the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Uh, I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm talking to... Tom Dorian. Yes, sir. And we're talking about women priests, yes, or the lack thereof. Yes. Why we aren't ordaining women as priests. And so um, we, we've talked a little bit uh, about the feminine genius and some of the great women in church history who've mm-hmm. been involved intricately in the plan, God's plan of salvation. And also we talked about, well, the first thing you might say to somebody is, okay, Jesus didn't do that. Right, so he's teaching us stuff. Why he didn't do that, you know? And I, I guess I also want to say there is some mystery involved to some degree. I can, we can come up, and you can read. Theologians will tell you they have some ideas about why this or why did Jesus do that. But I, in my own life, am making up. I have a list of questions that one day for Jesus, I just want to ask why. I say that all the time, too. You need to be careful because I, I'm thinking he's got a list of questions for you, too. Well, you know, like I'll wait. What were you thinking? I'll wait this? till he's finished until he says, come on in. And I'll say, by the way, <laughs> thank you. Uh, but here's some questions. Yeah, you know, those why, are good questions. Why hippopotamuses? Why, <laughs> what was up with that? You know, so there's like a list. So this this mystery of how he, he chose to reveal himself. Now, I, I, I want to go through now. So if Christ chose 12 men, mm-hmm. why are we going to? do differently right yeah. Yeah. now one of the reasons is I, I think that you can safely say well we we know that god revealed himself as a father mm-hmm. right we we know that he revealed himself and scripture refers to him as he and i know there's some movements out there where we're like we don't want to have that gender and also i do know that we understand god the father to be spirit so he technically has no gender mm-hmm. but he chose to reveal himself as the Father. Right. Right? So when we say the Trinity, it's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And, you know, so all fatherhood, biological and spiritual, is patterned after him. Mm-hmm. I mean, your dad is a great father if your dad patterns himself after God the Father. That's right. Your priest is a good spiritual father who's supposed to pattern himself as God the Father, having your best interests, having total love, extending mercy, but also uh, correcting and, and guiding. And so that, that, that's a father thing, right? And if you look in life, in the world, by nature, women can't be fathers. Mm-hmm. I understand there's extenuating circumstances where you've got 
someone who leaves the household, you've got a single parent family, and you've got to kind of be both, et cetera. But no one will ever say, oh, it's better that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, statistically, um, just the reality is everyone wants to have the situation where you've got the father and the mother. Yep. And the father is the male, right? Mm-hmm. And in the same way, men can't be mothers. That's why there's this complementarity that's going on. Right. Right. And so in the sense that God revealed himself as a father, like when Jesus taught us to pray, mm-hmm. what did he say? Our father. No, no. He said, our non-gendered authority entity who art in heaven, <laughs> hallowed be thy name. No, he didn't say that. And I'm being facetious and I shouldn't have done that. But, but the reality is there, there, there is there is a difference. Right. And we need to understand that difference. And so why did Jesus choose only men. Well, he wanted, he, he saw this need to have a, 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 not only a biological, but a spiritual fatherhood mm-hmm. for people because we are all children of God mm-hmm. and we need to have spiritual fathers, right, to guide, to protect, etc. And I'm not saying that women can't guide and women can't protect, but there's a uniqueness about the quality of the man doing that, as well as the uniqueness of the quality of the woman doing what, what the woman, what her care is and what her great gifts are. Uh, what we exalt her for, mm-hmm. right? And so they're, they're, they're separate and they're distinct, and the church recognizes that. And that's one reason why I think theologians might say that. So what's another reason why you might answer quickly for someone to say that? So it's tied to the anthropological thing I just talked about, right? right? So Jesus chose only men. Um, God is revealed himself as a father, mm-hmm. right, and roles for fathers. Well, so Christ... Obviously, Jesus is a male. Right. He's the son, mm-hmm. right? And we don't have any doubt that he was a man, mm-hmm. right? So he is known in Scripture as the bridegroom. And who is the bride? The church. The church, right? So Jesus is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. So the church has this feminine quality, mm-hmm. right? And she's seen in that light. So essentially, his... Death on the cross, but his relationship with the church is 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 in, is, is taught in in the context of marriage. Mm-hmm. Well, why do you think the church is so concerned about who's getting married and that there is the complementarity of the man and the woman mm-hmm. because that's what bears the fruit, not only the biological fruit but the spiritual fruit in in this relationship. So, follow that logic. If I'm Jesus following. is the bridegroom mm-hmm. and the priest is in persona Christi he's in the person of Christ he represents Christ to us well if he's a she so now it's like in persona Christa or mm-hmm. something like that I don't know what the technical term would be but now it's a uh, a woman essentially married to the church the woman right see it's not just about ministerial function like who can push this button who can pull that lever who can say these words? Who can direct this liturgy? It's not about just literally the functionality. It's that anthropological connection to see the great theological meaning behind all of this. Mm-hmm. To teach us about family and about, about our own salvation and our own place and our own charisms and what we're called to be and to do. And so it's a lot deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And so a woman priest then would upset that, uh, that connection, that anthropological design because it would be outside of that, right? And so, and then the other reason I would want to uh, I would want to mention is kind of a uh, seems like kind of a simplistic thing, but it's like you know a couple of popes recently have said this, but it's like we can't do that. 
right? If you went to the bank and said, hey, can you just like hand me a million dollars? It's in there. They'd say, we can't do that. Right. Right. Uh, We have no authority to do that. We can't give you what's not yours. We can't hand you the million dollars because it belongs to somebody else. Mm -hmm. It's not yours. Mm -hmm. You can't have it. So in this sense, the, the, the Pope, right, whether it's, well, the Pope, the church, you, me, whoever it is, has no authority to do this because we're only given the authority that God has given the church, his authority, and we're, essentially the, the church is the protector of that, mm-hmm. of that authority. And so, you know, we cannot change what Jesus, God, set in place, even if we wanted to. Right, we can't get with the times because Jesus was always with the times, eternally with the times, and that's that's important for us to understand and realize that we we can't do that. Right. There is no authority; uh, it's an unchangeable, revealed, complete, immutable truth. Mm-hmm. It is, and and this is I, there's a an apostolic letter written by um, Pope Saint John Paul II. Um, called Ordinatio Sacerdotalis, and it's on reserving priestly ordination to men alone. He wrote a little letter. It's a short little letter. He gets right to the point at the bottom because he sensed all of this discussion and, and all of this stuff that needed to be dealt with. And he says this at the very, the very last paragraph of that. He says, Wherefore, in order that all doubt may be removed regarding a matter of great importance, a matter which pertains to the church's divine constitution itself, in virtue of my ministry of confirming the brethren, I declare that the church has no authority whatsoever to confer priestly ordination on women and that this judgment is to be definitively held by all the church's faithful. I mean, that's like, did you hear that noise? That's the sound of the door slamming. Right. I mean, it's not to be cruel and mean. It's to say, look, we can discuss things theological. We can have conversations. But the reality is this is never going to happen. And he doesn't want to send false hope to places that would end up, end up creating problems. And, and a false hope, as you know, Tom, is not a good No, hope. it's not good. No, it's good to, uh, not good to do that. And so these are like all the reasons. Now, there's a, there's a great discussion. I want to tell you real quickly about a book um, by a, um, a sister, Sister Sarah Butler. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's called The Catholic Priesthood and Women, A Guide to the Teaching of the Church. What's so cool about this is she was formally in favor of female ordination and then when she examined and studied and she ends up defending the church it's a much more thorough examination of some of the stuff that we just talked about okay but the reality is we love women Absolutely. you love women i love women the church loves women exalts women mm-hmm. right mary is the highest and most exalted of all creation right. right and how beautiful she is and so this is why we need to follow what the church teaches and love and accept what the church teaches amen Let's pray to Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta, Federal Association, and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from the Most Reverend Martin D. Holly, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.